0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that we can have this lovely time together. Uh, it's, the rain isn't so noisy that we can't hear. We're grateful for this quiet and beautiful space well-lit, wonderful topic. Your beautiful people are here. I pray that you would fill our hearts with the twin sister of faith, which is hope. Lord, we want more faith. You have said we're saved by grace through faith, and it's the gift. So we don't even generate faith on our own. Faith and hope are our goal today. We thank you. Please teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So someone, Someone came to me this morning, I don't know if she's here, <laughs> um, but she said, it just shocked me. Nobody has ever said this to me before that really knows me. That, she said, how do you stay so chipper all the time? And I, who are you talking about? <laughs> I remember Evelyn and I, Evelyn is the one that you could say that to, Evelyn Kissinger. By the way, we have the notebooks there to send her a loving note. But uh, Evelyn and I did a lot of traveling together as colleagues, and we do seminars together, and um, have beautiful worship[s]. We share a room in the hotel all the time, and we'd have these lovely worship[s] at night. And and one time, I just saw her radiant face, and I said, "So, Evelyn, what? You know, when you open your eyes in the morning, what's what's the first thing that you that you think?" And she said, "Oh." I just think it's another day I, you know I wonder what amazing things are gonna happen today good or bad God is there you know and I I was just shocked I just stood there with my mouth open and she said well well what do you think <laughs> and, and I said well yeah you know, I was a little embarrassed but I said well so far so uh, I read this today I thought it was really beautiful While some are continually harassed, afflicted, and in trouble because of their unhappy traits of character, having to war with internal foes and the corruption of their nature, others have not half so much to battle. Man may grow up into Christ, his living head. It is not the work of a moment, but that of a lifetime. By growing daily in the divine life, he will not attain to the full stature of a perfect man in Christ until his probation ceases. So you see, we have to learn how to grow and how to grow with a good attitude because our attitude can make us more miserable than the trial. Amen? Amen. This growing is a continuous work. Men with fiery passions have a constant conflict with self, but the harder the battle, the more glorious will be the victory and the eternal reward. Amen? Amen so that's for somebody in here I wonder who don't confess no need to confess so today we're talking about mindset matters and thank you power we're going to look at attitudinal disciplines as I said in an earlier session our thoughts are the raw materials for our actions and we're going to do what we tell ourselves and what we think so this is the basic core and foundation of growth is the way we think about things the way we think about trials and are trials going to get easier or harder as time goes on is our faith going to be tested more or less as time goes on is God going to show us our need more or less as time goes on So surely, if we have committed ourselves to Jesus Christ and He has given us that new heart, that's just the beginning, because now we're just susceptible to grow. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to talk about Mindset Matters, and Mindset is defined as a basic orientation or set of attitudes toward life. Is it possible to be genetically geared in a certain direction in terms of mindset? Can we inherit? Can we learn a mindset? Can we develop a mindset? That's the good news. How many of you would like to develop the mental metal to tunnel through trouble? How many of you would like more of that kind of mindset? And here's what the Lord impressed me one time when I was on a walk. I was talking to the Lord about Uh, how sensitive and easily wounded and bruised I was. This is years ago. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Vicki, you're touchy. And the natural heart is hard-hearted, self-centered, and touchy. Now the work of God to change us is to reverse that so that we're extremely tender-hearted, but thick-skinned. I mean, that's a big difference, isn't it? To be thick-skinned enough that you can't just, you're not just crushed like a butterfly every time something happens, but you are still woundable. You still care. You're so tender. It's the heart of God. And that's a miraculous shift, isn't it? So we're gonna talk about this change and this mindset in conjunction with thank you power, and that's a big one. How many of you think that uh, we could give, we could be a little more thankful? Yeah, and that we could orient ourselves to have a more thankful, grateful attitude. Do you think gratitude can really make a difference? Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen some faces like that. Yeah. Okay, so let, there are, do you think there are health benefits associated with gratitude? Positive traits like gratitude and optimism, and I have, I have more slides on this, but I would not do that to you today. As to the actual factors, the metabolic factors, immune factors that are affected, T cells, H, uh, A1C levels, Positive traits like gratitude and optimism are linked to stronger relationships. That doesn't surprise anybody, does it? Better mental health. Stronger, does it say less problems? It doesn't say that. Stronger immune function, especially T cells fewer deaths from all causes I think that's really interesting whereas social isolation the health consequences heart health consequences of social isolation are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day that's pretty incredible better sleep quality that's that's something that we want people go to classes to learn lifestyle links for better sleep quality healthier food choices when you when you have a certain orientation toward life, you're more inclined not to make careless food choices. More exercise and smoking cessation. Uh, We have a 10 session living free quit nicotine program, which we would love for you to be able to use in your church, home, or community, Um, but the average person that that seeks to quit smoking, I think it's something like 38 tries before they actually make it. So how would you define gratitude? How would you define gratitude? Somebody tell me what a definition of gratitude is. That's one happy cat. Thankfulness. Thankfulness, what else? Pardon? Contentment, that's a good definition. Adam? As an action? Gratitude can be activated or it's an action. So yes, very good. It's an expression. Uh-huh my uh, six-year-old granddaughter has this down she comes to my house and she says Nona what's to eat (laughs) and when I give her what she likes she's grateful (laughs) do you think gratitude can go a little deeper than that yeah but she's got that one down I'll tell you so gratitude is there's Amelia right there appreciation of a benefit okay you give me the goods I'm grateful. People think if they win the lottery that then, they, then their problems would be over. You know, you didn't buy the ticket, you just found it in the parking lot, right? So now you're gonna give a bunch of money to the church, get a car for your friends. Um, but actually suicide, alcoholism, drug addiction rates go up with lottery winners. One man said, the, the, um, my relatives that I loved became vampires. So people lose their jobs. One chambermaid said I'd give anything to be a hotel maid again. She baned the day she won the lottery. So we think of gratitude as getting everything we want. But the Lord's idea of gratitude is a little different, isn't it? I really have a prayer that I'm implementing every day. I want to see my life, trials. She's, Ellen White says that all trials that are received as educators produce joy. Now, not right at that minute, because no trial for the moment is joyous, but grievous. But it says, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. How many of you want to see God's presence when it all goes south? When you're not being held by the right hand of God, you're being held by his left hand. And maybe it just doesn't feel like it's, he's there. But just because he fe- it feels like he's absent... Um, does not not mean that He is. He is present. Amen? Amen? So gratitude is appreciation of a benefit received. And the more time I spend with God in His Word, the more comfort. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. He has borne not only our sins, but our griefs and our sorrows. We can't carry these things on our own. They will kill us. Ellen White says, if we understood the evils in this world, it would kill us. And so I'm so thankful that he carries those things. And I love this statement. I read it last week. The program of coming events is in the Lord's hands. Amen? Appreciation of a benefit received, a state of being thankful. That's kind of along the lines what Adam was sharing with us. The quality of feeling or being thankful or grateful. How would you define optimism? How would you define optimism? Positive. Okay, what else? Pardon? Upbeat. Up-beat. Now there's a phrase. Wow, i got to think about that. Okay, yeah, you're right. What else? Anybody else have a definition of optimism? Hopeful. Hope, that's a great definition, yeah. Uh, I remember one time Evelyn and I were doing a program and it was mandatory, the people had to attend and of course somebody had to be there to worry about it and it was me. Uh, Evelyn was off doing something and, and uh, I, I showed up early to, to be concerned because somebody has to be concerned. And so, she, she drove up right before the meeting and I went out to her car and I said, Evelyn, we have a problem. And she said, what's the problem? And uh, I said, these people do not want to be at this meeting. And she said, sure they do, they just don't know it yet. She laughed and she went driving off. So, an optimist believes that a fly is looking for the way out of the house. How about that? An optimist takes a frying pan on a fishing trip. Optimism is a tendency, like you're saying, a tendency to expect the best possible outcome. Wow, that's a beautiful way to look at life. To dwell on, to dwell on the most hopeful aspects of a situation. Women tend to be ruminators more than men. And Dane used to tell me, when you get historical, you get hysterical. <laughs> One man who uh, had a terrible situation with a wife years ago told us that his, his wife would rack up uh, frequent flyer miles of offenses and then send him on a trip. <laughs> So learning to ruminate on God's promises, on solutions instead of situations, uh, is is a an, what I call an attitudinal discipline. I probably told you about the book by Rom Broffman, "Succeeding When You're Supposed to Fail." Did I mention that book to you? Okay, "Succeeding When You're Supposed to Fail." Rom Broffman is a social psychologist, and he. Examine children from adverse uh, backgrounds, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs they call it. They'd been abused, abandoned, they had drug addicted parents, they were orphaned and they had all kinds of stuff that happened to them and, and predictably these children, their neurobiology is such, they tend to be more hypervigilant, they may be more prone to addictions or psychiatric disorders or acting out behavior. But surprisingly, one-third of them actually did very well. They thrived, they actually exceeded their more, ba- their more normal environment counterparts. And he, he started to look into the traits that these children had. And these children had very resilient personalities, they were creative, they were problem solvers, they always were finding a way out. And some of the best criminals um, have that mindset. And so we don't want to go down that path, but, uh, but those traits, those creative traits that, that enable you to bust out of prison. Okay, the, <laughs> uh, so, the, so anyway, but they are trainable even emotional states such as empathy are trainable brain states. That's that's a wonderful picture of God, isn't it? That he can marvelously reconstruct and change our basic attitudes and outlook and orientation of life because that's really uh, that's really what is going to give us the the, um, substance of joy in life, not the absence of problems and we're going to see that. Grateful people are more likely to appreciate others who care about them rather than focusing on those who have hearts of steel. Ellen White says turn away from those who have hearts of steel. If we obsess over that one person or two or three or whatever it is uh, that's, that's not working and we can't fix it people can just, just go completely it can destroy them. It can destroy them. And so learning to focus on what is working and, uh, and growing our own relationships in the best way that we can, learning from our mistakes, is a healthy mindset. They believe that their own lives have meaning and purpose. Oh, how important it is for us to realize this as we enter into the closing moments of Earth's history when atheism is just destroying hope and self-worth in human beings. And so we must realize the beauty and value of our testing truths and dig into those truths. We are honored and privileged to know these things because people are going to, as I said before, we're going to make decisions based on our worldview and our environment. And we have to create, we have to intentionally create an internal environment that is from God's point of view and not our own. We have to learn to move by what we know, not what we Feelings are not bad, but if they're in the driver's seat all the time they're going to take you on a trip that you may not want to go on. Uh, People with optimism tend to appreciate simple pleasures. They believe in a good God who loves them. How many of you believe in a good God who loves you today? Amen. And they actively express gratitude actively express gratitude instead of, well, Dane had a sermon he preached, uh, giant grapes or giant gripes about those spies, you know, those uh, 12 spies. I remember one time in the office, there was someone, this was many, many years ago, but there was a person who was in charge of my project who just really disliked me. And I would cry about it and they had some control over my project. And he was a very tech, tech, techie kind of person. And I'm not a tech, tech, techie kind of person. And um, Dane was out of town, so I had no shoulder to cry on. So I went to ask this guy a question. And he saw me coming. And he went, What? (laughs) That was his greeting. I went to my office. I put my head on the desk. And I said, God. If you would get rid of this man, I'd get on with my Christian growth. <laughs> just get him out of here, just get him out of here. Just... Well, he didn't go for a while, but he is gone now. <laughs> he makes everything beautiful in it's time. <laughs> we tend to engage in grateful reflections instead of going mountain climbing over molehills. Not feeling deprived. This can hide in us and we don't even know it's there. Huh? They're not resentful about their past. A resentful attitude about the past can actually quench opportunities for experiencing gratitude in the present. Have you ever tried to cheer somebody up that has a permanent chip on their shoulder? They're just wounded. And there's no, and and that's really interesting because memory is also plastic. We edit memory through time. And so where you are in your head and in your experience edits memory. And so that's the beauty. The Bible says that he sent his word and he he heals them. So his word heals our memories. It heals our understanding of what happened. It heals how we relate to it. It turns curses into blessings. And so therefore, actual memories of the past become weapons against hell. Uh, and that's the healing plasticity that God has built into our brains. And if we're sour and nasty, uh, the memory gets darker and darker and bigger and worse until it's a completely fabricated thing. It's, It's way worse than what it really was. So new experiences of gratitude can greatly diminish resentment about negative memories of the past. Have you experienced that in your life? The healing power of God's word. It's really interesting with Joseph in Egypt the Bible says of him that it wasn't Potiphar, it wasn't his brothers who were jealous, it wasn't being kidnapped, or being in jail, or being forgotten, or all of those things. It wasn't those things that tried him, the bad prison, the food, the hard, cold floors. The Bible says the word of the Lord tried him. And, and so it's the, tr- it's the trying of our faith. It's when it doesn't seem to be working, when the promise doesn't seem to be right out front and center, that our faith is given the opportunity to grow but it also notes that they hurt his ankles uh, with irons so the the lord jesus takes note of every sorrow every tear every indignity we don't have to keep track we don't have to keep account we just have to keep that root of bitterness from growing up and springing up and just hurting the people around us we got to get out of the debt collecting business making everybody else pay for the debt of what we didn't get or did get. So let's talk about the work of Carol Dweck now. She is another uh, sociologist who's written a very interesting book called Mindset, and she discusses what is called the fixed versus the growth mindset. Fixed mindsets believe that ability and personality are basically inborn, unchangeable, and set in stone. Some of you are of a generation where we were all taught this. Um, We were also taught that whatever our IQ is, is what it is. Benjamin Barber, a sociologist, said, "I I don't label people as smart or dumb, successful or failures. I label people as learners and non-learners. Children who are genetically prone to this mindset, little children, will always choose easy puzzles because they have to affirm their capability constantly. It's not about what can I learn, it's about how will I look. So they keep choosing easy puzzles. Fixed mindsets believe that ability and personality are basically inborn, unchangeable, and set in stone. So they tend to believe that if you actually have to work at improving, it means you're lacking in basic intelligence or innate ability. She has a chapter on there in the book called When Mindsets Marry. And when you get two fixed mindset people that marry, that the marriage is supposed to be easy, right? Because if it was made in heaven, shouldn't it be amazing? And it's that health leader that gets a team together and it's all falling apart. I'll, I'll never forget one time we had a a group uh, putting a health program series together in a doctor's office on addictions and the woman that volunteered to take registration hated to answer the phone and she didn't have a phone machine so you know that caused a little bit of chaos uh... and so the leader just went to pieces and so you, you don't want a fixed mindset person in charge of your project. It's the first failure in a diet is a disaster, the first failure on a test, Uh, these challenges just break fixed mindsets into smithereens. It's a really quite a fragile temperament. Fixed mindsets view themselves as smart or dumb, strong or weak, competent or incompetent, winners or losers, successful or a failure. Is there another one there? No. Um, she has an interesting chapter on sports figures and she compares fixed versus learner mindsets in various famous sports figures and she uses John McEnroe as an example of a fixed mindset <laughs> athlete people who didn't even care about Wimbledon and tennis would watch the matches to, to watch him throw tantrums um, if he missed the ball you know the sand wasn't right for the hand somebody sneezed the call wasn't right because after all he's a natural athlete and I can't remember which basketball player it is, the very tall guy, but they're all tall, but it was a real <laughs> tall guy. And he, he didn't make the cut for high school basketball. He kept failing. And his mother just said, "Well, go practice some more if you want to get in." So she didn't focus on she didn't focus on um, his natural giftedness. And so children with this fixed mindset have these kinds of challenges they, and is it possible to learn to teach a child that mindset piece of art they do a good piece of art or they do well on a test and the parent says oh you're 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 michelangelo you're just a natural you're an einstein you did your math you, you can add and so we can encourage this mindset without even realizing it so the result is that these people tend to avoid challenges i was a runaway Uh, I had no recipe for solving problems. Uh, It it should either be perfect or it it just crumbled. And so they tend to avoid challenges, they give up easily, they see effort as fruitless, they ignore advice, and they're easily threatened. (laughs) It's just, you know, okay, is this person going to get through the time of trouble? Okay, we got to deal with this, right? As a result, they're more focused on how will I look rather than how can I learn in the face of mistakes or challenges. And I will tell you, you know, this feels like an autobiography, okay, people. Uh, but I know there are other people out there that struggle with this kind of thing, but uh, I, was not, I was not taught how to think and how to work through problems because my environment was extremely violent and only th- rest, the only solution was to run. And so, or drugs or you know bulimia and all that stuff. And so I became very militant. I became an atheist. I ran away from home when I was 17, but my grades were high because I would hide in libraries when I would run away. And, um, and so I ran away for good when I was 17, and I came back, and um, I, <laughs> I was taking my, I, when my, I found out my mother was dying of cancer, and so, I was taking her to a treatment one day and I noticed some buildings that were nicely landscaped in Riverside and I mentioned it to a friend of mine. I said there's this group of, uh, they must be construction people, they make vents seven days a week or something, it's called Seventh Day Adventists, they must make vents. (laughs) I noticed the landscaping and that's, I thought it was a venting corporation. And um, my friend said, no, no, she said, "Um, that's actually a Christian university. And uh, I said, you know, uh, anybody that landscapes like that can't be all bad, and uh, I think I'll go there. That that was my only, I had no other reason for going to an Adventist university, nothing. I was an atheist, and my friend said, well, you know, I don't think they're too fond of atheists. So um, She said, if you want to get in, tell them the body's a temple. If you tell them the body's a temple, they'll let you in. Now, you know, I was a partier, I was bulimic, I was super skinny, angry, militant, women's liber, and I went in for my interview with Dr. Osmondson, the president of the university, because in those days you had to be interviewed if you were a little crazy. (laughs) And um, I just remember saying, I don't know too much about you people. But I really like the idea that the body's a temple. And he just lit up. I mean, he, he put his arm around me. He said, I wish we had more young people like you on this campus. And I just thought, wow. I, I remember thinking. I remember thinking, if the one at the top is this naive, I wonder what the rest of them are like. You know, this is amazing. Like, this is gonna be so easy. I met my husband there. He was backslidden, so he liked me, you know? And so God had a plan. But I was so, mil- I was into, um, I got a, a degree in social work, and did child abuse investigations, then I went to law school. I was gonna be a prosecuting attorney. I skipped, traced on bad checks, repossessed cars. You know, if you just put everybody in jail, then it's going to fix everything, right? Sure. Well, when the Lord delivered Dane and I, out of our 32-year marriage, 28 of those years were in full-time ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? amen. amen. And when he delivered me uh, uh, from all of that rottenness, uh, he pulled me into the field of nutrition. was not something that I was attracted to. I wanted to go into public administration, I had a degree in that, too manage a city, you know. Couldn't manage myself, but oh well. So the interesting thing about that is that uh, it was just an incredible experience for me. And so I I had to learn. I had to take chemistry. I had to take nutritional biochemistry to get a degree, an advanced degree in, in nutrition. So I had to go down a different path. So the chemistry course I took was the wrong one. I took one for engineers <laughs> okay for my, for my organic uh, or inorganic chemistry and so I'm in this class with all these nerdy guys and they're talking about how many yards of cement to hang a suspension bridge and I just hated it. I didn't care about bridges. I don't care about cement. I didn't want to do this. I'd go home, I'd cry, I had no idea what they were talking about. And Dane would just say, you know, you're a tax-paying citizen, he's a public servant, it's the smart ones that ask questions, and you just hang in there, and you're tax... Pa-. And he'd get me all fired up, and I'd go back to class, and then I'd come back home and cry, and cry. And I had to, to work so hard to, uh, to get through this class. And, and, and the way I, my attitude made it much harder than just saying, this is hard, I have to study twice as hard as everybody else, because I don't know this. Um, But my attitude made it a crucifying experience. And I did ace the class. But um, So if you want to know about bridges, come see me. (laughs) We can talk about suspension bridges. So anyway, I was one of those people that made every step of my life harder because of this mindset. So the fixed mindset traits, they tend to be negative. They tend to have a lot of self-pity, they're anxious, depressed, and unforgiving. They're unforgiving of others because they're unforgiving of themselves. But growth mindsets, on the other hand, believe that although people differ in basic aptitude and temperament, is that true? Everyone can do what? Change, grow, and improve. Is that a more biblical orientation? Because what is the quintessential invitation of Christ? Come, you're heavy burdened, you're, you're, you labor, you have challenges and problems, your faculties are dull, come and learn of me. When, when the Bible says cease to do evil, put away the spirit of rebellion, and then learn to do well. Everything about life is learning, and most of us learn from the mistakes we make. If we're gonna learn, that's how we learn. Children with this mindset, toddlers, will choose um, hard puzzles. They're not embarrassed that they can't do it. They like the challenge. They have a passion for stretching and growing even when they're making mistakes and facing challenges. So these people make really good leaders because they can manage mistakes. They manage people well. Uh, They don't clobber them when a mistake happens. Growth mindsets tend to embrace challenges. They tend to persist in the face of obstacles. They tend to see effort as the path to mastery. Now, our first edition of the Simple Solutions book, Diet and Stress, uh, Jay Gallimore was our conference president and he created the department for Dana and I. He created the Health Ministries Department. It didn't exist. Our first project was that book and and that intervention. And so as part of it, it was 20,000 books. They gave us a big budget to get this done. We had an 800 number in those 20,000 books um, in three spots. So that's 60,800 numbers in 20,000 books. Well, we thought we had purchased, Dane and I thought we had purchased that 800 number for this book on stress, depression, and immune function. And we found out uh, the day that the books got off the press, when we finally got through to the number that it belonged to a mystic who had specialty tobacco company. So if you're super stressed and depressed, we have a tobacco for you. Okay, so we were new employees. This was our first project and there are 60,800 numbers for tobacco coming from my department. I remember laying in bed and thinking, this would be a good day to get hit by a train. (laughs) Where are the snipers when you need them? You know, if I die and my Bible's in the car, I'd be okay with that. I mean, just anything. But I had to go to Jay, and I had to tell him what happened. And I'll never forget it. I walked into his office, and I told him what happened. And you know these (gasps) micro-expressions. You know, he did one of those. And then he quickly... Uh, kind of caught his breath, and he, he immediately started focusing on a solution. Do you think he had to tell me about being more careful about 800 numbers? Do you think he had to tell me that? And you know what? He didn't. I was ready to be fired over this. And he, he just, by the time the meeting was over, he found a solution. And I tell you, I was so grateful for the life lesson of how to deal with mistakes. As a leader, he could have fired me on the spot. He could have lectured me, he could have, take, he could have dressed me down and made me feel, I don't know how I could have felt, felt any worse, but the way I left the office was so grateful that to this day, if I could work for nothing for this conference, I would do it, for that one thing, that one lesson. I'm so grateful for that living example of of graciousness. And so, that's a growth mindset. They're solutions-oriented people. And every once in a while, I still tell them, I just have to tell you this again. (laughs) (laughs) So they tend to learn from criticism. They're not defeated by failure. I mean, what a living lesson that was to me. They're inspired by other people's success. How many of you've heard of Wilma Rudolph? This mindset tends to be more resilient, and remember, the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's the ability to tunnel through problems. So the growth mindset trait tends to be resilient, more self-forgetful, more positive, more trusting, and more forgiving. Are these the traits that God wants to build in us through the growth process? And some of us are starting from below ground zero on this, but that's all right. God's Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It makes the victory more glorious. Amen? So Wilma Rudolph was a track star who won world fame when she became the first American woman. Oh, I'm not going to tell you that yet. Never mind. <laughs> she was born prematurely, listen to this, the 20th of 22 children she suffered as a sickly child with serious bouts of measles, mumps, chicken pox, pneumonia, scarlet fever and then polio. The polio left her paralyzed and at the age of six the doctors said she would never walk again and they fitted her with a steel brace. That allowed her to hobble for very short periods of time. Well when no one is around and I don't know how she managed that she would take that brace off and drag herself along the furniture and work her legs. So by the time she was 12 years old she, jo- she um, could walk for short periods of time. Now if I was her mom I would have encouraged her to take up library science as a career, as a vocation. Is that reasonable? That's a reasonable thing for the mother of a, of a girl so handicapped, so crippled. But not Wilma. She joined the track team in high school and she roundly lost Every meet, every time. But in her own words, whether at a track event at school or where? The Olympics. I love the exhilaration that comes with simply improving. She did not compare herself to others. She didn't look at their advantages versus her disadvantage and just live there in her mind. She said, you know what, I'm going to do something with what I have. And she didn't focus on poor performance or losing. She focused on improving. She was the first woman to win three gold medals for the fastest speed in the world in the Summer Olympics of 1960. She was known as the Black Gazelle. But you know, Wilma uh, was a Christian. And her real victory came not as an Olympiad, ad but as a christian woman who started the wilma rudolph foundation and she traveled worldwide teaching children the value of outlook mindset hard work and faith in god she died in her early 50s of a brain tumor but she died victorious you know it says of jesus in hebrews that he prayed with strong crying and tears for deliverance from the cross and the bible says that the lord god father heard him in that he feared now jesus died on the cross he wasn't delivered from it but he had victory over it wilma was not delivered from her brain tumor but she had victory over it my friend kim who lost her leg to a drunk driver and as a pastor's wife, was not delivered from amputation, but she had victory over it. Can you say amen today? Give her a hand, because she's here, I'm not going to... right now. So the good news is that a fixed mindset is fixable. And by the way, I haven't run away to Canada this year, so I've had victory too, people. We can grow, amen? Here's my saying that I give myself. If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. That's ex- and that's the truth. Experiences, Dr. John Rady, Harvard University psychiatrist, experiences, thoughts, actions, and emotions actually change the structure of the brain. Is that just an incredible truth? So, our brains look more beautiful under imaging the more we get like the Father in heaven. So, the bulimic, impulsive, runaways, full of self pity, et cetera, et cetera, ugly brain, ugly brain. But that brain gets more beautiful over time. Because it starts to look more like the fathers under imaging. How many of you would like to have a more beautiful brain over time? Amen. I love the way Paul puts it. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or achieved, but this one thing, focus, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, or not amnesia-type forgetting, but moving on, moving on. You know, uh, it says... Reaching forward to those things that are ahead. One of the great lessons of those three worthies in that fiery furnace. First of all, Jesus was in there with them. But the Bible says that the the fire burned off those cords, right? But the other thing that it says, when they got out of there, they didn't have the smell of smoke. They didn't stink of that past experience. And I believe that God wants to take the smell of all that rottenness, away from us. Amen. When Jesus worked his great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, the very first instruction was to his disciples. He said, roll away the stone. He gave them something to do. He is the only one that can raise the dead, the person that's dead and trespasses and sins. He's the only one. But then he gave his disciples something to do. He said, take off those grave clothes. The remnants of death have to be removed. And we help each other in that process as we pray together, encourage one another. Ellen White says, be their strength. Be the strength of that one that's struggling. So we as a body of believers are commissioned to help one another shed the remnants of death that still cling to us and make us stink. I press, that's what it means to press. I press toward the goal for the prize of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are what? mature have what kind of mind? It's a growth mindset. The hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to do what? Count our blessings. You notice I'm not looking at him because he's gonna tell me when I have five minutes left. Am I okay still? Oh wow, I'm on time. I can't believe it. Maybe I'll even just drag it on a little more then. The outlook you generally carry in life determines how you deal with what? Adversity. Those who have a difficult temperament take on a rigid, perfectionistic perspective to life. Their tolerance for unplanned and unpleasant events is low. So, you know, most of Jesus' ministry took place when he was being interrupted. And your interruption is God's opportunity to smooth you out and to help and bless somebody else. Although temperament is present at birth and is presumably influenced by our genes. It's not set in stone and can be modified. How many of you are thankful for that today? I am. I've got mafia in my gene, genealogy. So we don't want to go down that road, right? So we want that sweet spirit of Christ. I hear about these families, you know, 18 generations of missionaries. They're all pious and they... They're just amazing. They're so content, so happy not to be content. And then I look at my Roman relatives. You know, it just seems impossible to become that Christ-like model, but his power is great, amen? So we just keep saying yes. Is gratitude just for good times when things are going your way? What do you think? Money, success, friends, health, great genes, wonderful environment. No. How many of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tada? Johnny Erickson Tada was 17 years old. She had just given her life to Christ three months before. She said, Lord, I just want to be used by you in your service. And that's when she had her diving accident and she has been a wheelchair-bound quadriplegic paralyzed from the neck down for more than 40 years now. And the thing that I've learned about this as I've studied into her life a little bit is that the quadriplegia is one thing but the chronic pain associated with it has been just murderous. It's just, it, it, She said it makes the quadriplegia, quadriplegia like a walk in the park the chronic pain that she has to deal with. And this little booklet is so worth reading. It's called A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt. When I lost my husband, Dane, I got hold of this book and it was, it was really ministered to my soul. She has a perspective on giving thanks despite trials and suffering which she shares in this book. When she first um, was in the hospital they had her on a striker frame that rotates and she was drooling, she was bitter, she was depressed, understandably so. She wanted the drapes drawn, she wouldn't see anybody and she prayed to die. She was full of, of just despair and discouragement. And one day, one of her friends came in and put a stool underneath the striker frame. She was face down, took an unsharpened pencil, put put it in her mouth with the eraser part down, put a Bible on the stool and said, start reading. And start turning the pages with your mouth, with that pencil in your mouth. She began very slowly, to look at some of the words of God. And just a little bit of light started to shine. Then her friends, her Christian friends said, you know, if you had enough faith God will heal you of this paraplegia. So they organized a ride when she got out of the hospital. They organized a trip to a faith healer. There was a tent meeting with a faith healer and Johnny had been told and believed that she was going to get her miracle. She's written another, there's another book called Lord, Where's My Miracle that she's written that's very good. So they wheeled these people, these crippled, these handicapped people, to a dark spot in the back of the tent, in the back corner of the tent. The preacher had their preaching session with the spotlights glowing over the audience, and then the faith healer called for healing, for those who would like healing. And over in a completely different part of the auditorium or part of the tent, the actors came forward with their crutches and wheelchairs. And they were healed at that session, but they were actors. After it was all over, the lights were out, the attendants took the truly crippled people to their cars, packed them away, and sent them away. She was devastated. She struggled with this for a number of years, and then one, uh, one time she was reading in Mark chapter 1, and in Mark chapter 1, Jesus went to a town, he was doing, performing healing in that town. The day ended, they went to sleep, the disciples came to Jesus the next morning and said, there are more people that want to see you, that need healing, and he said, I must go and preach the gospel elsewhere. And she understood that the healing miracles of the Bible are an emblem of the resurrection. They're an emblem of the total healing that God will bring into our lives. So you may have a thorn in the flesh, you may have something that you have to live with that doesn't go away, but you can bring glory to God in that thing. Amen? Ellen White says that Children who do not have all their faculties who are raised in a Christian home and who respond to the extent of their capacity will be given full capacity in the new world. Amen? What a beautiful promise that is. So, here are her words. To give thanks in the midst of pain and problems is to take a what? rugged and demanding step of faith, not based on feelings, not based on outcomes, but based on God's command in 1 Thessalonians, and this is the scripture, let's say it together, in everything give thanks. I think it's so interesting when we we think about giving thanks, it's very hard to give thanks when we've messed up. I think that's one of the hardest things to do when you've brought that thing on yourself you are so remorseful how did I get there how did this happen why did I say that and we think of David at Ziklag when his choice affected the whole all the soldiers all their families their wives their stuff their kids because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time in the land of the Philistines for fear. Or at Nob, when all the priests and all their family, 80 people, were slain because he, he made a wrong, rash move. But at Ziklag, when David was confronted with this crisis where his men were going to turn against him and stone him in the land of the enemy, what does the Bible say that David did? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He focused on who God was. And what an incredible experience that was for David. He was not so low. He did not have a perverse will. He just made a series of very rash, miscalculated steps. And God loved and forgave his servant well, still. Amen? That's our God. When we focus on him, when we are faithless, he is faithful. The Bible says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, not successful all the time. So is it hard to do that? That's her question. What do you think, folks? Is it hard to do that sometimes? You bet it is, especially when my quadriplegia is made more difficult by chronic pain or difficulty breathing. I've seen tapes of her giving talks where they have to pound on her back before she speaks because the phlegm, she can't cough. And she's had breast cancer three times, uh, recurrence. She's had double mastectomy, and she just said, Lord, wasn't I deformed enough in this chair? And now this, and she can't even take full treatments because of the bone density issues that she uh, experiences. She has a worldwide wheelchair ministry. You can go online on YouTube and find little Johnny and friends segments of these children with these crippled limbs lying in the street all over the world where they go with these wheelchairs they have these camps for these children that are disabled and she says now i would not trade my wheelchair for anything what a blessing that's what god wants to do with your difficulty that's what he wants to do with your weakness your past your problems and the bible says for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant Yet later, it, re- it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Isn't it just absolutely incredible what God can do in weak, frail human beings? How many of you want your weakness to be turned into a weapon against hell? Yeah. Well, humans are inclined toward grat- ingratitude, are we not? When hit with hardships or roadblocks, many people choose one of the following. They give up, focus on the suffering, or get better get bitter. Well, they, they, there's the saying, you can either get bitter or better. What's your choice? You know, like the eye doctor, bitter or better? You know, slide one or slide two? Do you want to be pitiful or powerful? Go ahead, what is it? Powerful. That's right. You don't want to get messed up glasses, do you? So we don't want to have messed up attitudes either. There is another option, and that is to cultivate a grateful mindset that is to know that God is going to weaponize that thing that we can wait on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And that's the greatest miracle of all, is to be able to walk, put one foot in front of the other when it's all dark. You know, they say first you crawl, then you walk, then you run. But the greatest miracle of all is the presence of God when you are just putting one foot in front of the other, and he's there to give you strength to do it. It's a faith journey. To give thanks is not the same as feeling thankful, it's an act of obedience. Trust in God is not always accompanied by trustful feelings. I just make my emotions obey me, I will not allow them to rule my life. Amen? As you, her words, as you are obedient in the discipline of giving thanks, God will reward you with the emotion of thankfulness. And that will cultivate a greater spirit of gratitude in your hearts. Largeness of heart. The Bible says of David, Thy gentleness has made me great. How gentle the Lord Jesus was when David failed. And then David grew in his faithfulness. Amen? She's now fighting a serious cancer battle with an attitude that will trust God in the midst of this and not... Doubting. She's the one that said in the morning when her attendants come, she's had a rough night, she's been in pain all night, she can't wipe her nose, she can't feed herself, she can't move, they have to toilet her, she's in pain, and her attendants come, and she said, before they come in the room, she says, Lord, I don't have a smile for these people. Can I borrow one from heaven? I don't have it, but I need one from you. And she could feel it straight from heaven implanted in her heart. It's really anger, bitterness, and self-pity that close the door to love, happiness, and fulfillment, not handicaps and misfortune. And the Bible says, See to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and not just cause trouble for you, but by it many become defiled. But by beholding him instead of your problems, you will become what? stronger and wiser. That's why I'm so so passionate about us as Seventh-day Adventists, digging into our wonderful fathers of our faith, the books that have made us who we are as a people, delving into deeply these amazing testing truths for the end of time. S.N. Haskell, Uriah Smith, M.L. Andreessen. Get those books. Feast upon them, and they will deepen your devotion and love, not only for God, but for each other. They'll give you strength for what is coming. Whatever we magnify is going to get bigger. How many of you want to magnify truth? And Jesus, it's the truth that sets us free, makes us free, and keeps us free. We know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean all things are good. Who have been called according to his purpose. So the greatest gift of all is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has conquered sin and rebellion and death to make us free. How many of you want the spirit of rebellion slain in your heart? And open the path to eternal life. God says he'll wipe away every tear. It doesn't say he'll wash your face. Every single challenge he knows. And he suffers with you. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. And in his presence is fullness of joy. It's a miracle. His presence is with you in your trial. There will be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen? Amen. God wants to restore in you everything that sin has damaged and taken away to give you the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. I think that's a gift he wants to give us now. We're told that in the end time, the dungeon will be like a palace because of the presence of God. Let's let's stand and say this together because our time is up. Then we're going to have prayer. Everybody stand. And we're going to say this together with feeling. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you so much for the uh, experiences of life, for the presence of your Savior, for the converting power of God, that you have said that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Help us to trust you, to love you better, to be more faithful, more trusting, so that we will not wind up in ziklag, that we will get to the place where the devil can't even trick us into denying our Savior, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.